0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We got some empty pews in here this morning. You know why? It's that time of year when people are starting to travel, right? Families are going out and taking their vacations and visiting loved ones. And so, let's remember all of our uh, family members here at Lincoln Park who are traveling and, and visiting with uh, their loved ones. And so, and uh, those who are at work, let's remember them this day. And but uh, it's such an honor to be here to worship God in spirit and truth. Amen. And so it's, it just feels good, to, like like Randy always says, to start out the week, right, uh, with the saints, with our fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping God in spirit and truth and singing songs of praise to him. And so there's no better way to start the week. This morning, as you look on the screen behind me, uh, I asked the question, are you confident in prayer? And I asked this question because as Christians, are we not to strive for spiritual discipline, should we be striving for spiritual discipline in various aspects of our lives? Well, one of those aspects that we need to strive for spiritual discipline is is prayer. And it's something that I kind of want to just, I, I kind of think the more that I talk with fellow Christians that I don't think really enough, enough of us really understand prayer. Uh, we don't necessarily always know the things to pray, uh, how to pray, how prayer works, Is it prayer and miracles now, or is it prayer and providence, right? In the first century, it was prayer and miracles, but now it's prayer and providence. But sometimes I think we we forget that it's prayer and providence and how God works in and through our lives, uh, you know, through his providential care. And so this is going to be really a two-part, not as this week and next week, but a two-part for today and then later on today. So at 6 p.m. when we return here, we're going to be talking about does God hear the prayers of sinners? Does God hear everybody's prayers? And I want you to think about that statement, because are we not all sinners in need of a Savior? But are there not differences in those who are sinners, who are cleansed with the blood of Christ, and those who go on sinning willfully, practicing sin, who enjoy their sin? Does God hear the prayers of, the, of, of his elect in the same way that he uh, would he hear those prayers? What do the scriptures have to say about these things? And so that's what we're going to look at here uh, between this morning's lesson, and then, also, then later on this evening at six p.m. So this morning, let's open up uh, to the to the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 18, and we're going to get to that here in a few moments. But before we do, we need to remember, brethren, that that prayer truly is—it's a privilege, isn't that? It it, it's a privilege to, to go be th- uh, go before the throne of an all righteous and, uh, and and holy and, and mighty God, and it's a responsibility and a duty that each of us uh, have. As Christians, to lay our petitions before a holy and righteous God. Do you really believe, do you think that prayer is powerful, is the question that I would ask you. Do you believe that prayer avails much? For You think about prayer, how effective is prayer? Do you sometimes think that prayer doesn't seem to be very effective? You know, the prayers of a righteous man or the prayers of an individual with a penitent heart are highly effective in the sight of the Lord. We know that because that's what the Scriptures teach us. But I've heard things from others uh, you know, that they're not sure if, if God even hears our prayers. Or maybe they're not sure if God hears their individual prayers. You know, sometimes we treat God like this genie in a bottle, do we not? You know, you know we go to God whenever we want something. We go to God whenever we need something. But how often do we go to God just for, out of thanksgiving? Go to God and to give thanks for all the great many wonderful blessings that He bestows upon us each and every day, and so when we go to God in prayer, it has to be with the right spirit, it has to be with the right mindset, the right heart condition, as we approach the throne of grace. I think of a poem that was written by a lady named Deborah Ann, and Deborah Ann she wrote this uh, she wrote this poem, and it goes like this: How long will the fields be ready? How far will the harvest go? How much more, uh, or or how much longer will we reap? None of us will really surely know. But we must continue to toil, to sow, to water, and to feed. We must be willing to continue to plant plant for God his very good seed. No one said that's an easy job, this sowing and this gathering, for it takes a lot to keep the wayward seed from scattering. But if we want a full crop, and, and one that would yield a rich return, we need to save the scattered unless they be left to burn. We must keep protecting the fields from all the various disease, even if that means that each sower must get down upon their knees. How far will the harvest go? Only the good Lord knows. And it is our job and it's our duty to see that his harvest grows. You know, this passage of scripture, it makes me think of uh, this first passage, of, uh, or that, that poem makes me think of this first passage of scripture that's on the screen behind me. And when you look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 through 38, notice what it says. But when he, the sower, but when he uh, sows the multitudes, he, he was moved with compassion for them. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved for, with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers out into his harvest. You know, verse 38 is going to be the crux of today's lesson, right? Verse 38 is the key to today's lesson, because Jesus tells his disciples to pray. And in Deborah M's poem, she writes, We need to save the scattered, lest they be left to burn, even if that means that each and every sower must get down upon their knees. You know, so today, as we get into this lesson on prayer, I would simply ask the question, uh, do you believe that prayer is powerful? Do you believe that prayer is powerful? Do you believe that prayer is effective? You know, you look at James chapter 5 and verse 16, and when you get to James 5 and 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and and pray for one another so that you may be healed. For the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I would simply ask the question, do you believe that? Do you believe that the prayer of a righteous man can availeth much? You know, today we're going to look at the parable of the unjust judge, This lesson is on prayer this morning because I want us to understand a little bit more about prayer. And I want us to really consider how confident we are when it comes to prayer. This this is a parable that is is something that that Jesus had spoken to his his disciples when he knew that his death was coming. He talked to them about the destruction that was coming for uh, for Jerusalem. And he felt the the uneasiness of his his disciples. And so he, he taught them this parable. And prayer is important, brethren, because it's our avenue unto God. It's, it's the opportunity. It's an honor that we should have to be able to, 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 to kneel down, to sit down, lay down, drive in your car. Wherever you're doing your prayer, because I know we all pray in different places, right? And if you're married and you have kids, sometimes your car is the best place to pray. I could tell you when I was in sales all those years, most of my prayers were while I was driving for 30 minutes heading across town. And so you think about it, though, wherever it is that you pray, just take that time to really focus in on God, focus in on your relationship with God, lay your heart out before him to allow him to know what's going on in your life. For we know that God knows all things, but we also know that Jesus encourages us to petition him, like we're about to find out in Luke chapter 18. And so, prayer, brethren, is the means by which we petition God, and it's also by means of which that we uh, that we worship God and that we praise Him. And it's a, it's a privilege, it's an honor as well as a duty. The Scriptures encourage us to pray without ceasing. If you remember the, the Jews of old, they would pray at the they would pray at the third hour, they'd pray at the ninth, uh, uh, at, uh, at the sixth hour and the ninth hour. They'd pray at nine, noon, and three. And they would pray consistently. That's how Daniel was able to fall into the trap of those who were looking to, uh, to, uh, to do harm to him. Because they knew that no matter what the, the, the decree was, that he was going to offer his prayers to the Lord no matter uh, what happened. They knew that he was a man of prayer. They knew that he prayed regularly and at certain times of day. And so, brethren, we have to have that same type of mindset that we don't necessarily have to schedule it on a calendar. We don't have to schedule it with an alarm clock, but just know that we need to go to God consistently, regularly, uh, laying our petitions before the Lord and giving thanks for uh, for all that He does for us. And this is, you know, it's never a bad thing when uh, when we have this opportunity to go to the to go to God in prayer. But look at Luke chapter 18. If you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. I want us to read through the first eight verses here. I want us to look at this, this parable. Because Jesus, he speaks, to this, he speaks this parable. and Notice what he says in verse starting in verse 1. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and to not lose hearts. Saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and he did not respect men. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponents. And for a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, even though I do not fear God, even though I do not respect men, yet because this woman gets on my nerves, or really paraphrasing, because she bothers me, I will give her legal protection. I mean, that's really what he was saying, let's just be honest. Otherwise, by continually coming, she's going to wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, we'll... Not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So as we examine this parable here this morning in Luke chapter 18, a moment ago I asked, I made the statement that prayer is powerful and I asked you if you believed it. I, I made the statement that prayer is effective, and I also asked you if you believe that. And I ask you these questions, brethren, because there are so many of us who struggle when it comes to our prayer lives. I've heard people say that I pray, but it does not I just don't feel like it changes things. I've heard people say that they wonder if God even hears their prayers. And so, if you have ever thought these things, if you ever had these thoughts in times of, of despair, I can assure you, you're not alone. You're not the first Christian who's ever asked the question, does prayer really even make a difference? Does God actually hear my prayers? Some of the great men of the Bible have uttered these very same words. You remember King David, don't you? In Psalm chapter 13 and verse 1, he says, How long, Lord? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Brothers and sisters, I show you these examples because we know that that God... Uh, that we're all going to go through seasons of fear. You remember what Habakkuk had to say. He says, how long, O Lord, will I call and you will not hear my voice? Will I call and you will not hear? You will not come to my aid? You will not help? I mean, that's essentially what he's asking. And we look at these examples because we all go through seasons of sadness and fear. We all go through seasons and times in our lives where frustration uh, uh, seems to mount because of unanswered prayer. Because sometimes, as I said, we we like to treat God like that genie in a bottle, like we expect him to give us three wishes every time that I rub the lamp. And brethren, that's not how prayer works. You know, prayer today is very different in the sense than prayer was in the first century because in the first century it was prayer and miracles, now it's prayer and providence. And so we have to look at it a little bit differently. And we're going to talk more about that this evening. But this morning... I'm here to assure you, brethren, that God, without a doubt, hears our prayers. God, without a doubt, answers our prayers. In the parable of the unjust judge, Jesus, he uh, he teaches us to pray, but he also teaches us and tells us to be patient, and that we must be patient. It teaches us that God will answer the prayers of his children. This woman, uh, she had to go to him time after time after time in order to receive the legal protection that she was looking for. And Jesus spoke this parable to his disciples to bring comfort to them. Because I already mentioned to you that in the, in the chapters and the verses leading up to this, what do we see? We see that uh, Jesus told his disciples that I'm going to die soon. And that there, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem is, is at hand. And that it will be coming in the near future. And Jesus could sense the uneasiness. And so he speaks this parable to his children, to his disciples rather and let us let's now look at the two main individuals. The first is the judge, right? If you go back and you study out the Old Testament, you find in like Deuteronomy 16, you learn that the judges were th- th- there were judges in all the various uh, locations and they were to make fair and honest decisions in regards to the to the things that man had brought to them. We learn about that in Deuteronomy 16. But in 2nd Chronicles 19, these judges were also to make Uh, to fear God, and to make decisions that they think that God himself would make uh, if God himself was sitting there hearing these requests. But the judge in Jesus' story, he didn't fear God. He uh, He didn't care about the plight of his fellow Jews. And so he chose to do things his own way. Thus, he's called the unjust judge by Jesus. And he gave justice to the widow, but it was only to keep her from bothering him. And so we understand, brethren, that this reminds us of the saying. You guys have heard that old saying that the squeaky, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? And so keep petitioning God. Keep going to God. Keep laying uh, your prayers and your requests before a holy and righteous God who hears the, the prayers of his elect, who, who works providentially in the lives of those he, he calls his own. And the widow in this story, she had been wronged in some way, but she wasn't going to take no for an answer. And Jesus was telling his children, he was telling his disciples, that you need to have a similar mindset. And we are told that she pleaded for justice to be done. And though she was refused, she continued to plead her case. Brethren, this widow finally received the protection that she would so desired. And if this unjust judge was moved to justice, Jesus is telling us, how much more will God be moved to justice who is infinitely just? Who loves us and, des- and desires the best for all of us? God will avenge his own elect. We know this because in 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse 9, it says, The Lord knows how to rescue the, uh, the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And so, brethren, you look at these, this passage of Scripture. God's own elect are those who received his mercy... Through their belief in him. Through their trust in him. Through their repentance and through their baptism for the remission of their sins. We become new creation. We become new creatures. And now we are added to the kingdom by God himself. And so God hears the prayers of those who are his elects. And if we are God's elect, God is going to really answer prayer in one of three ways. In the first way, God will avenge us. If you remember in uh, that when I say us, that God, means God's going to fight on our behalf. Providentially, he's going to fight on our behalf. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, notice what it says. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. So he, Jesus is just telling us, God is telling us through the Apostle Paul that we are to lay our petitions before God, but no matter how Angry you may be about something, no matter how disgusted you may be about something, you don't seek out your own revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay. But we need to make sure that we trust in the Lord, and that we understand that he hears our prayers, and that when we turn things over to God, that he will act on our behalf. The second way God will uh, answer prayers is God will avenge us, but he avenges us at, his, at, at a time and choosing of his own will. The results of God's will make time. But we understand that when we petition God, that providence is set in motion. God's providence is set in motion, and we understand what Peter had to say in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, the scriptures tell us, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Brethren, again, this means that we turn things over to God, but we don't just turn them over to God. We need to trust in him no matter the outcome. And I believe that's where the the crux of where many of us have a problem with our prayer lives is because we know what we want the answer to be, do we not? But many of us don't necessarily always want the answer that we receive. You see, we want things how we want it because that's the age and that's the time and the age that we live in. And so God is going to answer prayer, he's going to set things in motion, he's going to providentially work through your life, but we know that all things will come about at a time uh, according to his will and his choosing. And so brethren, the third thing that we need to understand is that God, he's long bearing, he bears long with us, means he's long suffering with us. Brethren, God is slow in coming to anger with us when we repeatedly pray for our, our sorrows. So at the end of the day, God answers prayers in many ways. The first, the first way is he may give us what we ask. The second way is he may give us more than we ask. The third thing is that he may make us wait. He may deny our request. He may even give us something better than we ask. You see, there's many ways that God can answer prayer. But just because you pray for something means that you're going to get what you pray for. That's just a misunderstanding of what the scriptures teach. Think about the examples for a moment. I wonder how Jeremiah felt when he was cast into the dungeon because he was trying to get the Jews of old to pray. He was trying to get them to turn to God and to pray to uh, to a holy and righteous God. And they threw him in the dungeon. I wonder how he felt. I wonder about Daniel when he was thrown into the lion, and he was thrown into the lions in the lion's den because he prayed when it was decreed not so. I wonder how he felt. I wonder how Jonah felt when he was praying and he spent three days and three nights in the heart of the great fish. Thinking, is God not going to hear my prayers? You heard what Habakkuk had to say earlier. You heard what the King David had to say. Lord, how how long will you hide your face from me, Lord? You see, brethren, when we, when we pray to God, things will come about, but they're going to come about according to his own will, according to his own timeline. But we need to be patient, fully trusting in the Lord that all things will work out according to his will. Brothers and sisters, ask yourself a question. In those three examples I just gave in regards to Jeremiah, uh, in regards to Daniel and Jonah, was God involved in their lives? Did things work out eventually for them? You know, whether it's in this life or the next, all things will work out for those who put their trust in the Lord, amen? Whether it's in this life or the next, God hears the prayers of the elect. And maybe you want vengeance now, or you want revenge now, but maybe God says, no, I have something else in mind. But no matter what, we will stand before a holy and righteous God. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, it says all of us will stand before God in judgment. Do you think that those individuals who you were upset with, that you wanted revenge on, do you think that God will not then take vengeance on them? Brethren, I'm here to tell you that God knows all that we say and do. And that we will give an account for all that we say and do when we stand before God in judgment. So whether it's in this life or the next, all things will work out according to God's will. So brothers and sisters, we can all see, we can all find peace in knowing that if you are a child of God, he will be at work in your life. But do you believe that he is at work in your life? Do you believe that God is providentially working uh, in your life? You see, brethren, when you look at prayer, and this is part of it where some people, I think, just don't fully understand, is that God hears prayers, but he hears them conditionally. You guys have heard that before, haven't you? That God hears prayers, but he does so conditionally. What does it say on the screen behind me? Jesus said in Luke 6 and 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Lord means master. He says, why do you call me master? You don't even do what I ask you to do. How do you think your prayer life's going to work out so well? How do you think your prayer life's going to work when you're petitioning a God in whom you don't even actually do what he asked you to do? Do you think that's going to hinder your prayers? Do the scriptures teach anything about that? And I'm here to tell you they do. God will hear those who pray with the proper spirits. He will hear those who pray with the proper mindset, the proper attitude. And to pray with the proper spirit is to know who you are. You're a servant to the king of kings. You're a servant in the kingdom, which means that God's the master. You're not the master. You petition God and you put your trust in the master and you allow his will to be done. And Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, the scriptures tell us, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Who's, who's speaking here? This is Jesus. He's speaking in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, the time where he was so scared, so nervous, he's sweating blood. And he says, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. You see, brethren, Jesus understood how prayer worked. He understood that it wasn't about him. It was about God's will and fulfilling God's will in all things. You know, we have to fully understand. Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel for a minute. Because God is going to hear the the prayers of those who pray in faith. And I want you to see what this looks like. God is going to hear those who pray in faith. But I want you to see also that you may not always get the answer that you want. And David doesn't get the answer that he wants here in 2nd Samuel chapter 12 in verse uh, 15 through 23. Brethren, to pray in faith before we read this, it means to have total trust, to have total confidence in God, no matter the outcome, no matter the answer you receive that we must always accept it and we must always trust in the Lord. Listen to what it says in 2nd Samuel chapter 12 verse 15 through 23. So Nathan went to his house, and the Lord struck the child of Uriah's widow uh, that Uriah's widow bore to David, so that he was very sick. And just to give you a little background on this, you understand this is talking about when David's men were at war. He's bored, he's up at the palace, he's up on the roof, and he sees this beautiful woman bathing... And instead of turning away, he allows his lust to get the better, uh, p- the better part of him. And he has her brought to the palace. He has relations with this woman. She becomes pregnant. And he- the problem is, it's adultery. And now he brings the pregnant woman's wife or her husband back, tries to, to, to fool him, to trick him by getting him to sleep with his wife. But he was an upright and righteous man. Surely I'm not going to en- enjoy the spoils of my wife, so to speak, while my brethren are out there dying in battle. And so he refused to go into his wife. And so he sends him back out and he, and he has uh, Uriah murdered. And then because he sent him purposely to the front line knowing that he would be killed. And he was doing so to cover up his sin. And so brethren, we see the treachery of David here. And in 2 Samuel 12, 15 through 23, God sends Nathan the prophet to him. And notice what happens. In verse 15, So Nathan went to his house, and the Lord struck the child with uh, that Uriah's widow bore to David, so that he was very sick. But notice this. David therefore inquired of God. It means he was praying. He was petitioning God for the child on the child's behalf. And David fasted, and he went and he laid all night on the ground, but not just one night. The elders of his household, they stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling to, uh, he was unwilling to be raised up from the uh, ground, and he would not take food to eat. And then it happened on the seventh day. Did you catch that? Seven days have gone by. He's not eating. He's prostrating himself before the Lord. He's fasting. He's laying on the ground. He's petitioning petitioning God on behalf of this child. And the child died on the seventh day. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. And so David asked his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, he washed washed himself, he uh, he anointed himself, and he changed his clothes, and he came into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped God. He worships God, and then he came to his own house, and when he had requested, they laid food before him so he could eat. And his servants are like, what is going on? They're like, what is this thing that you're doing? While the child was alive, you fasted and you wept, but when the child dies, you rise up, you take a shower, you worship God, and you eat, and you act like if nothing happened. And then notice what it says in verse 22 and 3. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept, for I said, who knows, the Lord may be gracious with me, that the child may live. But now he is, the child has died, so why fast? He goes, he goes why, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? But notice his words. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. What did he just say there? The child dies after a week of of prostrating himself, laying on the floor, fasting, not eating, hoping that God was going to be gracious with them, hoping that God was going to overlook his sin, but God chose not to overlook his sin. He says, what's the point of going on fasting? He says, the child's not going to return to me, but I'm going to go to him. You know what he was doing? He was putting his trust in the Lord, that if I remain faithful and true unto God, that no matter what happens, no matter the answer to the prayer, no matter the outcome, I know that I'll see my child in heaven. I know that my child is resting in the bosom of the Lord. I know that he's resting in the embrace and the love of a holy and righteous God. You see, brethren, David didn't receive the answer he wanted, but David trusted that the child was now with the Lord and knew that at the right time, that he too would be reunited with his child. So why continue to fast? He got up, he worshiped the Lord, and says, I'll see you again. You see, brethren, David trusted in the Lord that no matter what the answer to his prayer was, David didn't think of God as a genie in a bottle, as I said multiple times, that hoping his request would be granted, but trusted in God's righteousness, trusted in his his protection, his grace, his love, and his mercy, and knowing that if he remains true unto God, no matter the sin in my life, if I repent of that sin, and I continue to live faithfully unto the Lord, that I will be at home with the Lord when my life comes to an end. People say, but man, that sucks for that child. No, it doesn't suck for that child. That child didn't have to live a life of misery and suffering here on earth in a world that is fallen, in a world that is sin-ridden. That child is now in the presence of the Lord and will be so for eternity. Which place is better to be? On earth for 85 years? In a world that you see what's going on all around us regularly? That is inundated with sin and darkness? Or to be at home with the Lord for eternity? I'll take take that home with the Lord. And brethren, but it's all about, do you believe and do you trust in the Lord? Do you put your trust fully into the Lord? And so, brothers and sisters, we look at all of this information this morning. If you are not confident in prayer to God, ask yourself, how strong is your faith? If you are not confident in your prayers to God, how strong is your faith? Faith is what I said this morning, and I say it all the time to you. It's believing, it's trusting, and living obediently. No matter what the outcome is, no matter the answer, you continue to live on faithfully unto the Lord. Brothers and sisters, notice what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Ask yourself, brethren, when you look at this passage of Scripture... Is, unre- is, is there some unrepented sin in your life that's hindering your prayer life? That's hindering God's answers to you? You know, because it, it tells us right here. And we know that when we look at this, that it's simple. God hears the prayers of the righteous. He doesn't hear or act on the prayers of the unrighteous, the unrepentant. We know that John 9 and 31 says, We know that God does not hear this uh, hear the sinner's prayers. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, God hears him. But we have to make a note here. We have to draw a distinction. Because we know that we're all sinners. Are we not all sinners in need of a Savior? But there's there's a difference between the sinner who repents of his sin, who's buried for the remission of his sins, who's raised up as a new creation, and the blood of Jesus Christ continuously cleanses over you. That so when you do have sin, and you have godly sorrow, you ask for forgiveness, it's washed away. It's like it never happened. But what about those individuals who continue to practice their sin? Hebrews 10 and 26 tells you what happens there. There no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. So is there some type of unrepentant sin in your life that is hindering your prayer life? Because I can tell you what it says. We know that God does not hear sinners. But he's not talking about all sinners. He's talking about those unrepentant sinners. Those sinners who enjoy their sin and who choose to not turn away from the sin in their lives. So what have we learned here today, brethren, as we close this down? We need to pray without ceasing. Just like the widow... Continue to petition the unjust judge. We need to have a strong faith and trust in the Lord, just as David had. We need to remove the sin from our lives and to live righteously so that our prayers will not be hindered unto the Lord. We need to be patient and we need to trust God that no matter what the outcome is, no matter the answer to our prayers, that we worship God and we give thanks and praise to His holy name fully trusting that his providence will work in our lives. And brothers and sisters, yesterday we know that it is gone. Today is a new day. You have an opportunity this morning to repent of the sin in your lives. You have an opportunity today to turn away from the sin in your lives and to renew your faith unto the Lord and to get back into serving God, to doing what you know you should have been doing all of this time. But our, it just really gets back to how much do you trust in the Lord? How much do you trust in his promises? Do you really have biblical faith that starts with belief and continues on with trust and continues on with obedience and all three of them being in, working in harmony together? I said to the class this morning, if all three of them aren't working in harmony, you will not be pleasing to the Lord. Jesus said he wants you to be on fire for him. He doesn't want you to be with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. He doesn't want you to straddle the fence of sin and righteousness. He wants you all in, or he wants you to reject him. But if you're here this morning, and Jesus isn't the Lord of your life, brethren, you have an opportunity to put on Christ in baptism. You have an opportunity to go into the baptistry this morning, bury the old man of sin, the old woman of sin, and be raised in newness of life. And brethren, God will add you to the kingdom. If that is your desire, come forward as we stand and sing.